Bloodbath and Beyond, episode 25. I'm Casey Mitchum. I'm Bert Cody. And today, uh, we are awakening from our cryo-sleep and checking off two things on our to-do lists. Because today we're covering Captain America, The Winter Soldier, and The Raid to Barrendell. It's action and horror, it's horror and action, it's Bert and Casey, it's Casey and Bert. Before we hop right into these movies, uh, both of which are brand new releases, a note on spoilers. Yeah, uh, well, I wanted to have this discussion because a mutual friend of ours recently has uh, has been. I've been having conversations with him about uh, the the plight of same day spoilers or the internet's insistence on spoiling things while it's new and in the interest of uh, of newsiness or having an up to date Twitter feed where you're talking about all the latest stuff. Sometimes you'll just drop like critical information to something that people haven't seen yet. Uh, Entertainment Weekly is really horrible about that with like TV shows. Mm-hmm. They'll spoil well, it the next day. Well, Twitter uh, spoils things the same day it airs or the same day it's out. Uh, you know, you're not a, you're not a big Game of Thrones fan. Um, I I am. I've read the books. Yeah. I enjoy the I enjoy the TV series. But uh, what what ticked off uh, this friend of ours that I'm talking about was that a character died in the most recent episode, and within seconds of it happening. People are, were already posting pictures of his dead face all over the internet. <laughs> I I haven't seen the show, but mm-hmm. I have a very good idea of who it is. Sure. Because I looked on YouTube and I saw nothing but video caps of yep. a Game of Thrones character. And it's like, oh, that's the one that died. Right. Well, and in this case, people actually had images of the face of the corpse <laughs> so <laughs> there was no doubt that something had happened to this person but i mean but i think that sort of speaks to um a certain epidemic about same day spoilers and in game of thrones case you know some people even as far back as stephen king said well it's existed as a book so long so it's your own fault if you don't know what's happening here i don't i don't feel that way necessarily like i like, I feel like I have plot armor because I've read the books, so nothing in the show is going to surprise me. But in general, I don't feel like it's fair for the people who opt not to do it. If for whatever reason they can't watch something when it airs, or when if they can't see you know, Captain America 2 or The Raid 2, I don't feel like it's fair to uh, just throw, those, th- throw that information out there in a public forum. Yeah, nobody likes the, the Homer Simpson spoiling Empire Strikes Back. Um, and in our age of ra- uh, radical connectivity, mm-hmm. this is just going to be an ongoing problem, and it's never going to go away. It's only going to get worse. Yeah, it's only going to get worse. Uh, but I, but at the same time, like I, I just, I, I guess I just wanted to air the grievance that I, I don't necessarily think it's cool. I think there's a, I think there's a, there's a hot period where you shouldn't spoil things. And then within a, within a couple of weeks, there's there are subtle ways you can spoil things without. Like, to, to demonstrate that you know something happened without just, like, blatantly putting out, that character's dead, and if you go see this movie, it's, that guy's dead, too. Yeah, or, or in the case of our show, as we will be sure. doing, you know, give adequate warning. Right, well, I, I think I think, if anything, a five-minute conversation about spoilers is a good warning here <laughs> that we're going to spoil the hell out of both of these movies we're talking about today. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just of the mindset that you know, I, I do think that there should be some some decorum regarding spoilers, uh, 
but at the same time, I think there should also be a moratorium for spoilers. Like I, I see like people get angry that someone spoiled like a fifty-year-old movie. Well, I, it depends on the movie. Yeah. A movie like Empire Strikes Back, which I just mentioned, um, <laughs> the big spoiler of that movie is now so much in or so far into just American pop culture. Sure. That it doesn't, I don't, it's like it's beyond spoiler. And the fact that there's three prequel movies now that would spoil it anyways if you were to watch them in the sequential order like that. Yeah. And, you know, I think things with like, if you, if you want to spoil like, let's say one of the all-time classics. You want to spoil certain characters dying in Gone with the Wind or something, you know. That, that's a really super popular novel and super popular movie. Uh, I, I think with certain things like that, I think it should still be avoided, or at least you know have a warning attached to it. I think I think if you actively know that a friend or even an acquaintance is about to watch something they haven't seen before, that's when you don't talk about it around them. But I think there's a certain time too where if something's been out again, this is not the same as a book to TV transition. Although I encourage anybody to read those books because mm-hmm. I. I really I enjoy those books more than the show. In fact, I'm gonna just go ahead and say that I have I have a fear that at some point the uh, and it's very likely given the speed at which George R. R. Martin writes novels uh, that the show is gonna pass what's been written in the books, and then I'm going to have to find out how the story ends through the TV show, and, and I can't and I can't avoid that, you know, like because because of the problem we're talking about. The show has reached such a level of popularity, you know, it could be said, well, why, you know, why don't you just not watch the show then? It's because everybody's going to talk about it on on the internet. And uh, even shows like Conan O'Brien and Jimmy Kimmel and Good Morning America are talking about spoilers and who dies and what happens in Game of Thrones episodes now. So you really have to disconnect yourself from all media. And not just for Game of Thrones, things like Mad Men or Breaking Bad or any you know anything that's hot right now. Yeah, Breaking Bad... Uh... The ending of the show was spoiled for me before I even watched a single episode. See, yeah, it's yeah. it's all too common. I I think there's 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 ways to be subtle, but I guess what I was trying to say was um, there does reach a certain point though where something has been out for so long uh, that if you don't know that anybody's planning to watch it, you should be able to openly discuss the things that happen in it without people getting pissed off at you. Yeah. And you know, as we've mentioned frequently, for us to cover a movie. The way we want to cover it, we have to kind of go go into that territory. Yeah, and we often do. Yeah, so we often do. So fair warning, uh, we're proceeding with spoilers, but uh, also a uh, fair humble request: um, if if something's if something's super new, don't be a dick. Yeah, just <laughs> easy as that. Super easy. I, I know you want to be the first person on your Twitter feed or your Facebook status feed to say something happened in a TV show to see how people respond, but don't be a dick. Tag it properly or give them the chance to, you know, or just subtly make an allusion to something without actually outright saying, that person's dead. <laughs> this is how the show ends. You know, like, <laughs> there, there are ways to do this. Yeah. Uh, bear in mind, I really, really did like Breaking Bad, despite knowing how it ended. Oh sure, I think I think that uh, I think that anything quality can overcome um, can overcome knowing what happens conceptually if the execution is still really good. Yeah, but it diminishes the excitement. It does, and you know I, I think like, a lot of you know media that lasts doesn't last because it had such and such twist ending. It's because it was just such a well told story 
just a sure. well-made picture. It's actually what I dislike about a lot of current um, movie trailers, which is that I'll see I'll see a really nice money shot movie a moment in a movie trailer that might not even happen till like the last ten minutes. So what? So like if there's a false finish or something, I'm like, I know this isn't over because I haven't seen that scene in the trailer where the guy shoots the guy. Yeah. You know, like I, I I'm already tipped off that something is coming. So my excitement or my or my my willingness to just go along with the movie is diminished because I'm waiting for that scene to happen. I know. Well, if you do your trailers right, like uh, for for example, the old Hong Kong trailer for Hard Boiled shows a lot of action in it, but it does not show a second of footage from anything that happens inside the hospital. And the last forty five minutes of that movie is inside the hospital, and it's spe- which is awesome. Yeah, and it's spectacular. Yeah. Well, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just just give us a tease of what we'll see in the early parts, and don't show us the ending. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much control, say, the writers or directors have over the marketing materials that go out for their movies, spoilery Usually materials. Usually not a lot. Yeah. I know Gareth Evans, I think he edited himself the first trailer for The Raid 2, and that's just the nature of the movie, it being you know an Indonesian production. And I'm pretty sure someone like Quentin Tarantino has a lot of control. but Yeah, because part of his whole marketing is that it's Tarantino and it's got to have his little stamp of uh, Tarantino-ness on it to yeah. sell it to the audience. It's got to have that Sally Minky uh, editorial style. Yeah. Even if she's not doing those anymore for obvious reasons. Oh, one thing I do like about Tarantino, and he's done this since Kill Bill with his trailers, is that he has alternate takes of dialogue or just maybe an alternate angle of some action or whatever. Um, maybe not always for the best, but at least it's different from what you see in the trailer. The trailer just, well, give you an idea of it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, let's, uh, let's segue this then into talking about who lived and died in the two movies we're covering today. Uh, yeah. and you heard, right, we, we are doing two movies this time, and that's because, uh, we missed a recording last week due to, um, my, my cat gremlin chewing up my old headset. So I've finally got a replacement headset and we're going to cover both new films, spoilers ahead. And we're jumping right into Captain America, the winter soldier. Captain America needs my help. When do we start? We just did. Um, I believe I am not the Captain America fan that Casey is. I would almost guarantee that. Yeah. So, uh, my enjoyment of this movie, which uh, you know, I'm gonna go right and say it, it's a it's a well made movie, and probably not as high. Which is something you wouldn't have said for Captain America one. Oh no, I couldn't stand the first one. <clears throat> I thought it was terrible. It was trying so hard to be old school, and it had a few scenes that worked in it. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a good introduction to the Cap- Captain. America as a character, yeah. but I don't, I don't know that it's a successful film. Yeah, uh, you probably could have distilled all of the good things about that movie to tell you about Cap and his origin in like ten minutes, like a ten minute prologue to this movie, or to uh, Avengers. Yeah, like, oh, but, but I feel like I feel like they might have just felt like they had to give us more of the characters. That the, it's like to so an audience who doesn't know him from anybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it wouldn't have worked quite as well with Avengers. Um, and to uh, Joss Whedon's credit, he. I really like the way he wrote him in that one. It gave him all kind of these old-timey expressions or just uh, ways like the greatest generation would think. Yes. Like, like uh, what was it, Loki? He goes, I've only seen, uh, there's only one god, man. 
that ain't him. It's very, <laughs> it's very Gary Cooper almost. We we still get a lot of that here in this movie too, yeah. and I think I think it. I mean, I think they play it up even more in this movie. Yeah, uh, it works. This movie is completely different looking, different feeling of different tone and theme and everything. I it's. And I, I would dare say this might be one of the most thematically complete Marvel films. Um, yeah, I'm not going to argue with that, really. It's, I mean, it's it's not a movie I I have super strong feelings about. Um, but I it had uh, these great motifs built around it because of the constant uh, concrete and steel and glass sort of uh, just locations that are always in. And all of the architecture is very modern, and it's just uh, it clashes really well with what they did in the first movie, which is trying to try to make an old timey like Saturday morning serial, but really failing terribly at it. Yeah, this approaches the the, uh, the characters from a bit more of a uh, conspiracy film angle. Yeah, well, and it's like a conspiracy in how I feel about. Uh, the kind of impact this movie had on me, and it's kind of like a mid-tier James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll just go ahead and say the uh, the comic influences here. Uh, first of all, this is most definitely inspired by uh, the run of comic writer Ed Brubaker, who tends to write a lot of uh, film, you know, uh, not not film, but noir style comics. Uh, he's best known for things like Criminal uh, and Sleeper, which. Which all fit very well, but he, but his biggest contribution as far as what he's known for is the Winter Soldier arc of Captain America, uh, in which it was, you know, it's often been said that there's a couple, there's a couple comic, there's three comic deaths you can't undo, and that would be Uncle Ben, Gwen <laughs> Stacy, and Bucky Barnes, uh, all Marvel characters, conveniently enough, and the and the Wayne family, like that's Bruce Wayne's parents, they can never come back. Peter Parker's parents, they came back, right? Yeah, they, they, they did, did. They did. It was it was disastrous. Yeah. Um, but and and Gwen Stacy kind of is. I don't know. It's I don't want to go into all that. <laughs> but <laughs> but but Bucky Barnes had been dead for a long time. Like there had been other versions of Bucky, but they were never the original. Mm-hmm. And that was always made clear. Like he was the irreplaceable one that died during the war fighting Baron Zemo with Captain America, and that still haunts Cap. And then Brubaker made the decision to bring him back as this Winter Soldier character, who was, uh, you know, sort of, sort of just the the tragic ghost of Bucky Barnes as a uh, Soviet killing machine. Yeah, he's got this pretty gnarly uh, cybernetic arm. And has he taken Super Soldier Serum or something? I couldn't, I couldn't understand how he was just so ridiculously powerful. It's been a while since I've read it. I, I, I don't think he was a super soldier. I feel like it was just a case that like he was especially well-trained, and unlike Captain America, they would keep freezing and unfreezing him to let him do missions and train up, and then freeze him again so that he could be like sort of time-locked in that state. Oh, so he wouldn't age. Yeah. Uh... Like So he was only unfrozen when needed to do an assassination job or to, to, do, like, to follow through with a spy mission. Okay. But yeah, I, I agree. He's 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 pretty darn well powerful. I mean, the the most eye-catching moment, you know, one of the most eye-catching moments early on in the film uh, is, of course, uh, the Winter Soldier cap- catching Cat, uh, Captain America's vibranium shield, which is a moment that's sort of designed to make 
the kids in the audience go, whoa. Because even if you're even if you're a kid that's only seen a few movies, you understand nobody catches Cap Shield. Yeah, it always bounces off and goes right back to his hands. I don't know how well, it does it for Cap. But yeah, so so there's a, there's a lot of Brubaker influence here. Uh, I am a big fan of Brubaker's run, so I'm I, I welcome that. Brubaker also known for the uh, the death of Captain America storyline. Um, which I'll, I'll get more to later because I feel like there's some uh, there's some setup here. Is that where they shot uh, Cap in the face? Yeah, more or less. Oh, that's too more or less. Um, but also, uh, I feel like there's a lot of callbacks to another run by another writer, uh, Jonathan Hickman's Secret Warriors, in which uh, Shield and Nick Fury in particular learn that they have been working for Hydra the entire time, <laughs> and Nick Fury builds a team of young superpowered commandos to help him combat Hydra from within. Okay. Uh, this movie, I, I guess the main story is this it's preying on this fear of the perpetual uh, surveillance and the information gathering of people. Yeah, this is a this is a Marvel movie for the NSA age. Yeah, it's very much a film of its time. Um it also has Robert Redford in it. Which is kind of a huge shock to me. I wasn't yeah. quite sure what his job was. Was he just Nick Fury's boss? Which... I feel like he was some kind of government liaison, and they probably said it out loud, but I don't remember. Yeah. I, when I saw the trailers, I thought he was going to be the president. Hmm. You know, because like you get Robert Redford, of course he's the president. But yeah, no, he's he's someone really high up Shield chain, yeah. even well, beyond Fury. I can't remember the last time Robert Redford was in like a real mainstream movie. Yeah. So it, it is weird to see him in this big budget superhero picture. I'm sure they paid him a priceable sum. Yeah. And but yeah, most most recently he was doing more like Sundance related stuff. So. Oh yeah, he's been you know running the festival and the channel, and he did that indie movie where he's stuck on a boat by himself for like 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the name. All is lost. That's that's the name of it. Oh, I think he really adds to the vibe here. I mean, he's such a he's an actor with such gravitas. Yeah. That he can say pretty much anything, and you're like, you're you're totally in, you're totally in. <laughs> I believe um, you. Now, yeah, as we said, this is sort of a, it's it it ties into those comics we're talking about. Uh, generally, the story we're not going to go too far into the plot here. Although I will say again, I feel like it's a better plot than most Marvel movies because it's a, it's a complete plot. I feel like a problem with a lot of the Avengers-related movies is that most of them have been 67% their own story, 32%, 32, 33% build-up uh, for whatever else was coming from Marvel at the time. Uh, a trailer, in essence, for the upcoming Avengers movie. Iron Man 2 is really bad about this. And that's why that was my least favorite out of the Marvel movies I've seen. I haven't seen the Thor movies or Iron Man 3. But yeah. I feel like that, I feel like that's pretty prevalent in a lot of the movies that Marvel put out, uh, which is just that you feel like you're watching a trailer for a movie you're not even watching yet. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't get that sense from this. I mean, there's there's definitely setup being laid here for future films, but I feel like the telling a complete story was more of the prerogative of this particular movie. Yeah, and they got away with it. Uh, also, kind of an odd uh, director's choice. Yes. Uh. uh yeah, these are the. The Russo brothers. Yeah, they're mostly known for sitcoms, am I? If I'm not mistaken. Um. Yeah. Uh. The show. They. 
Well, they were they were initially, as far as I knew them, they were known for uh, some episodes of Arrested Development. Uh, they they laywayed that into directing the film You, Me, and Dupree with Owen Wilson, which I never saw. I uh, did. It's not memorable. <laughs> okay. Um, and then they went on to do shows like Community. Okay. Which which sort of has some nerd cred, and I'm wondering if that may be where they got the opportunities they've been given. In fact, uh, there's a there's a cast member of Community in a minor role in the in the film. So I yeah I, I think that I think that that show might be where they caught the attention of Marvel. I don't know I don't know if they're I necessarily don't... the guys that you'd think are like these guys can really do a huge budget action movie, but I, I'll say they surpassed all my expectations. Uh, let's say they can direct a movie that has action scenes in it. I don't know if they okay, can direct see, an I, action movie. I knew this was going to be a point of contention between you and I. There is some horrendous shaky cam in this movie. I knew that's what you were going to call it out for, too. I was sitting in the theater going, Bert is going to call this out for shaky cam. It, how can you, all right, shaky cam is one of the worst things you can do in an action movie. It completely, it is your, it is your biggest pet peeve. Uh, with modern action movies, it's one of my, uh, at least stylistically, it's my biggest pet peeve, where, you, where they just distort things to where you can't see it. And a big problem, and one of the worst examples, was the Georges Saint-Pierre scene. Georges Saint-Pierre, uh, if, if any of you know, he's the, uh, I think he's the reigning middleweight champion in UFC. I, I'm not sure if he's going to retire or not. Uh, here he, in this movie, he's playing a minor Marvel villain, uh Batrock the Leaper, or Georges Batrock as they call him here. He's yeah. he does he doesn't have the silly French mustache he has in the comics, and he doesn't leap quite as high. But he's, you know, he's a pretty confident yeah. fighter here. Yeah, uh, he does his own uh, gymnastic moves. Uh, GSP is an expert in that too. And the fight scene he has with Cap is it just it's very arbitrary. It's not very interesting. It's filmed horribly. Uh, it always zooms way out to show George doing a couple of flips or whatever, and zooms way in whenever Cap has to throw a few punches to sort of make the fight look even. And it's just a big mess and more or less a waste of time. Um, uh, See, I, I feel like that's a shame because I feel like I feel like there's some pretty decent action to be had in this movie. There, there is. Uh, there is. This, this, for example, this is the first movie where I really feel that like they've used Cap Shield correctly. Yeah. There's a lot of utility for the shield. We we kind of see those, you know, him doing those geometric tosses where the where the shield bounces off something just right. It doesn't make any and, sense. It doesn't make any sense, but it's in. But you know, but it has uh, it has a lot of uh, history as far as the books go. Like it's just the way it's always been used. Yeah, always ends up back in his hand perfectly. There there's some um there's 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 a flight scene with Anthony Mackie's uh, Falcon. Which I think is it's pretty thrilling on its own because they you know they shoot him soaring through all these explosions in the sky and it looks nice and I just wish I wish they'd kept the camera a little more still on that action. Uh, I, I, and I, yeah, I don't know ahead. why action movies, uh, so many of them, <clears throat> and even a few other notable ones we may or may not be talking about, feel the need to that the only way to heighten the excitement of your action is to jumble the camera around. Um, the worst shaky cam of recent memory was probably Elysium. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't. That, that made that movie was completely. It, it was a it was a terrible movie, but the action scenes were. You dissuaded me from ever seeing that on our uh, <laughs> summer movie roundup last year. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was such a stupid movie. If you if you want to know why it was stupid, just listen to the listen to the uh, summer roundup episode. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I, I always feel like when directors resort to shaky cam, I feel like they're trying to cover up something. Do they not feel comfortable in the choreography? Do they feel like that's the style people want, and so we better give it to them because See, more the Bourne movies were a like, hit? More and more often, I feel like that's kind of how they feel. Like, I because sometimes I don't feel like there's any need to move the camera around so much. Because, like I said, some of the some of the action in this movie is thrilling enough on its own that I don't really understand why they'd feel like they had to do that. Like, I I enjoyed the sequence of a. Uh, of the highway battle, for example, where it's all of our heroes versus Winter Soldier on the on the highway, and they're having sort of a shootout, and Cap's using his shield to you know to to dodge chain gun fire, and I think that's working on its own. I don't need dodge him to... it. Well, he doesn't dodge it; he just walks into it. And the guy but can't listen, even shoot his legs. Hey, he's got a vibranium shield. F you. <laughs> but his legs are ex- uh, whatever. It's it's just it's accept a, that it's it's cap standard. Yeah, I, I can't be too harsh on that. I guess. I I thought the same thing too, yeah. but still, <laughs> I, I I am more willing to accept Captain America. I rank him among my favorite, uh, not just Marvel heroes, but superheroes, right along with Daredevil and Spider Man. So, I'm I'm a, I'm a, I think I'm not as harsh a critic. I for example, I don't care about Iron Man, so I might be a lot harsher on the Iron Man movies. The Iron Man was. Just that first act, and up until he breaks out of the uh, Af- Afghani prison, I think that was the best Marvel movie so far. Like, just watching him having to build a suit and thwart the bad guys was so fun. And then after that, it becomes a really generic superhero story. I th- Iron Man 1 is a good movie. Yeah. Uh, and when we say Marvel movies, by the way, we're not talking about, like, the movies that were made outside of the Marvel studio system. Yeah. So, like, that doesn't include the Spider-Man films, because that was Sony. That's not that's Marvel's involved characters, but it's not a Marvel movie. Yeah, and Fox owns Fantastic Four and X-Men. And Ghost Rider for a time. Ghost Rider <laughs> and Daredevil are now under the Marvel banner, right? Or Marvel Studios? Uh, Yes, and I, God, I hope they do something good with Daredevil. But that's that's a, that's a day, that's another story for another day. Uh, but I don't know. Like I, I'll I'll keep explaining for this one. But I I could make a case that this might be Marvel's best movie for me yeah, so well, far. Um, I I think overall their best. It's all to me. It's all you know, crowd pleasing entertainment. Well, I I walked out more pleased by this than I had any expectation to be. Yeah. Uh, I think the best bit of crowd-pleasing entertainment Marvel had to offer overall was that first Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. So that that was a lot of fun in the theater. Uh, it was well photographed. Maybe that end action scene went on like 10 minutes too long. But you know, it, it was still a lot of fun and it was satisfying. Well, let, let me put some more positives in the, in the corner of this movie. Yeah. Um, first of all, this is the first time. This is the first movie where I felt like Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow has been a complete character. Yeah, she has things to do and she has intentions. And she's not just there to be oogled at or occasionally throw a kick. And she's not I mean, a love she, interest she, either. No, in fact, she's wearing. A, my girlfriend pointed this out to me. I did not notice, but she's wearing an arrow necklace for Hawkeye. Oh. For most of the movie. Okay, so that's her uh, promise ring. I suppose, but you know, but they they never call that out explicitly. It's just in a couple scenes you can see her wearing an arrow necklace. It kind of looks like she and she and Cap are gonna have a thing, but it's made clear it's a pretty professional relationship. I actually like the way that Black Widow kind of teases Cap, because there yes. is a very good chance that Cap might be a ninety-five-year-old virgin. 
And I think Black <laughs> yeah. Widow knows that and probably thinks it's hilarious. And is playing coy with him. Yeah. And we've, we even get you know a, a joking makeout scene as they're trying to avoid uh, detection from surveillance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it, yeah, I, I'm, I'm enjoying the chemistry between those two, but I also appreciate that you know Widow gets to look like a smart super spy in this movie. She's not she, like I, I've never gotten that impression from her before. She did that uh, the Crimson Viper uh, throw. She like jumps on some guy's shoulders and electrocutes him. She, uh, she, you know, uses a decoy at one point against Winter Soldier and even holds her own against him. Uh, she uses, you know, a, a facial, a facial alteration software to hide her identity. Oh, wait, uh, for a sec. How did that work? How did she switch places with that particular character? Well, who, who do you, did you recognize who that was? Uh, I, I recognize the British actress, but I, I know she was in uh, American Werewolf. Yeah, it was, uh, Jenny Agatha. Yeah, uh, Jenny Agatha. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know, but I feel like that is, that's such a spy movie trope at this point <laughs> that I don't really question it. You know, like, yeah. like people are always wearing, it's such a comic book trope too. People are always wearing lifelike masks of people. Yeah. I, that I, 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 I was like, okay, I don't question it. Or as silly and absurd, I, I, you know, I'll let it get away with that. I, I would say, you know, even beyond the G.I. Joe movies, this is the most genuine G.I. Joe movie. I've oh yeah. Seen. It has uh, all of the G.I. Joe things with the. Uh, cartoony military vehicles, mm-hmm. like that the crazy ship that fires at Cap when he's on his motorcycle. Hydra existed <laughs> before Cobra, but still, there's that serpentine super super group of terrorists, you know? Yeah. With with silly gimmicks. Mm-hmm. There's a, by the way, there's a that's another thing for me as a big Cap fan. There are a ton of Cap Captain America villains in this. Uh, see, I'm, I'm not very familiar with cat villains other than the Red Skull, okay, so yeah, most he... of it was lost on me. All right, well, we have uh, in this movie we have uh, Doctor Arnim Zola who appears on the computer screen. Uh, not quite the form that he's usually in in the comic books. Uh, usually, he has a camera for a head and a video screen of his own face on a che- on the chest of a robot. But I'm like a little Robo more Cop willing 2? to. Yes, kind of. But I'm I'm a little more willing to accept this version of things because it's a little, it works a little better. But he, you know, he's a giant like old, sixty style computer database now. I actually liked uh, that scene where they go into the old bunker. Me too. Yeah. Um, we also have uh, Batrock the Leaper, who I mentioned previously. Uh, in the in the post credits, we see Baron Strucker, who is a big villain in the Marvel U. Uh, and also we have, uh, I, they didn't name him in the movie. So I kept wondering why Frank Grillo's character was all over this film. Uh, he's the, he's the mustachioed grunt that just keeps popping up through the movie, uh, and gets a lot of scenes. In fact, he, he's in the montage at the end of the movie, you know, having been burned. And I was like, they're really focusing on this guy, but he's, uh, he's playing Brock Rumlow, uh, Brock Rumlow, which is the, uh, real life civilian name of, um, Red Skull's main super Nazi best buddy, uh, Crossbones. Crossbones. I got such like a Philadelphia vibe from that guy. Like, oh yeah, yeah. good kid. Um, this movie. Now that you reminded me of uh, that character, he stabs a lot of people, and this is a uh, probably the most violent of the Marvel movies. Oh yeah, by far. There's a lot of death, a lot of on-screen mm-hmm. death, just uh, without very, without little without much blood. <clears throat> Um, I'm kind of uh, surprised that they got away with it. 
I also want to say this is a you know it's it, this is a typical complaint in in comic in superhero comics in particular, and it should be that there's not enough representation of women and uh, minorities. And I feel like this this movie more than any superhero movie I can think of attempts to rectify that a little bit. I mean, we have. Like I said, this is the first time I felt like Black Widow has been a complete character in a in a superhero movie. Uh, but we also have, you know, we we still have Nick Fury, but he but Fury gets to play a much more prominent role in this movie. I um, I like the fact that he's there to be a character instead of uh, the guy to advertise the next Avengers movie, which is what he yes. was for a long time. Yeah, again, he's a complete character for yeah, the first time. Yeah. Uh, also, we add uh, Anthony Mackie to the cast uh, as Sam Wilson, the Falcon, uh, who has been a friend to Captain America in the comics, uh, probably you know for as long as I can remember. Uh, and you know, and he of course is a uh, is one of Marvel's better known black superheroes with the ability to fly using uh, synthetic wings. Uh, and I I actually found charming in this movie i thought this was a really good debut for the character yeah uh anthony mackie said he actually wanted to have the more colorful pro wrestler looking costume the red and white yeah yeah, that falcon has like he was a little disappointed it was a more military gear kind of costume yeah uh but i i think this is a good entry for him yeah uh i agree uh i enjoyed the guy that's all. Can we can we, t- can we talk about Steve Rogers' schedule of sadness? Yes. Where presumably, you know, every day he he jogs around the the White House. He yeah. he'll he'll talk to whoever he met and unburden whatever sad memories he has. He'll go to the museum and see, you know, like this 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 sad exhibit about all his dead friends. He'll visit <laughs> he'll visit his former lover with with Alzheimer's, and then he'll go back to his house to be alone. And listen to old music from his time period. Yeah. This all happens in the sort of like we're to understand this is his day. Well, Falcon did let him in on uh, some good music to listen to. Yeah, Marvin yeah. Gaye, the, the, the Trouble Man soundtrack. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, he does have a profoundly sad uh, sequence of events. And just I, I don't know I, I i find that funny but i guess that you know again we need to establish that this is a lonely man who would probably welcome having some new friends uh now of course i already knew the story to winter soldier you know and again this this movie does not attempt to completely duplicate brubaker's storyline and for once i feel like it's to its benefit because it better captured the vibe of those storylines by not attempting to replicate them completely um i just think that works it, for um every adaptation when you want to adapt every little tiny thing that happens within a comic book. Say, for example, uh, the Watchmen picture. A movie yeah. I thought I really liked when I first saw it, but I realized it was tonally off the next, the, you know, when I watched it again, and that it just felt wrong as a structure in, of, a, of a script, you know, a movie script. It just didn't feel sure. right. And that's because there's just too much stuff. It makes it boring, you know? Mm-hmm. And so capturing the feeling, I think, is more important than having all of the little tiny events. And we'll probably get in and on that, you know, throughout the course of our show whenever we discuss adaptations. Sure. Uh, but I, I feel like this is a good adaptation because it attempts to replicate the vibe rather than specific points. Uh, I think that this was something that, I, that the Russo brothers and their screenwriters worked really hard on doing. And uh, I, for one, appreciate their efforts. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't feel strongly about this movie. There was nothing that really grabbed me. It's just 
things that they didn't do made it a more solid film. And the fact that it was, you know, more or less a complete story, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. I think, like, the last act, it's a bit of a mess. It is wall-to-wall action. And it's all, they're just trying to top themselves. And it just feels frivolous instead of exciting. Like, the whole thing with the three battleships and that can kill anybody at any moment. I, I thought... See, I, I feel like that's, that's meant to be a heavy-handed drone strike metaphor. You know, like, oh, is it right for any nation to have a thing where they can kill a man without even having to actually kill the man in person but it was a dumb metaphor for it. i don't know it's, it's, it's captain america see but and, and see i'm gonna i'm gonna echo that by going it's captain america <laughs> <laughs> it's like i can't hate on it you know this, really. this is a character i can get excited about so it's this is the story i've wanted him to have since he's been in a movie well, I mean, so I, 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 I feel like I, I'm getting excited the way you would about a Punisher movie, you know? A good Punisher movie. Sorry, that was my Lexi Alexander impression. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be most excited whenever Daredevil gets a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, what's but, interesting mm-hmm. is that Marvel Studios, uh, I think the business aspect of this is pretty fascinating. The Marvel franchise is now the highest-grossing franchise ever, eclipsing Harry Potter, Star Wars, and whatnot. That's incredible to me. It's incredible, but I I think they've accomplished it by mostly being smart. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing to think that DC has not been able to replicate that measure of success for whatever reason. They they can't they can't fathom trying to do that kind of cinematic universe, and I don't know what's holding them up. Um. Yeah, they're always they always seem to be playing catch up, or they're doing the wrong things. With you know, that, that terrible Man of Steel movie, mm-hmm. uh, they they re- I think they really thought that was going to be a big hit, and it wasn't. It, it it made money, but it wasn't like this smash hit Dark Knight numbers that I think they were expecting, and this sort of buzz that people would have for a Batman versus Superman movie, which I'm sure is going to be terrible. Well, I'll, I'll tell you where, where I feel like it's gone wrong. Um... I feel like where they've gone wrong is that they've, like, with the DC movies especially, especially after they saw, you know, that Nolan's vision was working and that it was getting people in the theaters, and, you know, we can we can argue the merits of those movies at a, at a later date. But I feel like they feel like they have to fundamentally darken the DC universe to make it appealing, whereas Marvel has it dark moments, but primarily dabbles in, in bright colors and fun compared to the competition. And that's what Superman should be. Great. Well, that, that's what a, that's what a comic book movie should be. Exactly. I don't. Uh, I want to say Chris Nolan kind of ruined it for DC in a way. He made these really successful dark Batman movies that are really gritty, and so Warner's is like, that's what the people want. That's what we're going to keep making. And, and you're not going to fit somebody like Zack Snyder into a Christopher Nolan bag. No, no. It can't happen. You know, it's not, you know, like the, the, the reason that works for that guy is because he's that guy. Don't try to replicate what that guy does with somebody else. It's not going to work. They, they went about it all wrong. It doesn't work for all characters. Superman's not that guy. No, Superman is more in the vein of Cap or Spider-Man. Right. He's bright and colorful and happy. And I, you know, and to be honest, I feel like Captain America kind of gives me that vibe. I mean, it's, you know, they, they get to do heavy-handed conspiracy and drone strike stuff. But at the end of the day, this is a Captain America movie where one man's courage and, you know, and the, the help of a couple friends can save the world. And it's about preserving what he, his ethics, his sense of ethics, you know? Mm-hmm. 
I got I, none of that from Man of Steel. Me neither. Well, and, and I'll tell you another thing I like about this film is they sort of make it obvious. And I, you know, I wish I we unfortunately we're not recording right after I saw this, uh, and that's my fault for the headset. But I remember there was a couple scenes in the movie where I was kind of surprised, like, okay, they're not they're making it clear that he's not really like the liberal or conservative hero of America. Like he's like sort of the the American of all Americans. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 you know, he disagrees. He disagrees on a fundamental level with, uh, with, you know, ra- around the clock surveillance. Whereas somebody who's, you know, a little more into the Patriot Act may not be, because he just feels like it's not, it's not right for basic liberties. You know, um, of course they do have Fury chew him out about that later, <laughs> talking about, oh, you're the greatest generation, and you, you know, do you know any people you guys killed for your compromises? And I. That those those politics there are a little bit muddy because he acts like you know dropping a nuke is not the same, mm-hmm. um, and in a lot of ways it is. But uh, but you know that's that's a, again that's another show entirely. Uh, uh, even when Cap shows up to uh, the veterans meeting to wait yeah. on uh, uh, what, Sam is his name Sam yeah, yeah. Uh, Falcon. Uh, he he even looks a little troubled that these are this is what these guys are going through. Or uh, you know what's go what happened in Afghanistan. See, I'm a little confused about the the Marvel political scheme because you know I they've subtly referenced that history is played out very differently. Uh-huh. Um, I guess if there was an organization called like actually like Hydra, the Cold War would have been very different. Yeah. And I was wondering that also because it mentions Black Widow being born in 1984. But then she goes on and on about her KGB training. See, okay, that there's there, here's the problem. Um, this is actually a problem faced in the comics too, uh, which is the sliding scale. Yeah. Uh, they keep having to slide the scale of time so that Cap can be unfrozen in the present era. So they have to act like he hasn't been unfrozen for very long. It's only been a few years, you know, for whatever generation happens to be reading it. Unfortunately, yeah, Widow in the time where she would have been bigger in the comics. Uh, would have made sense as part of the Cold War. And realistically, and a lot of the Marvel U, I mean, a lot of the history still played out the same, at least in Captain America's world, a lot of the history and a lot of the real wars still played out the way they did. It's just that you had you had schemers like Hydra in the shadows manipulating events. Hmm. So, yeah, I was just wondering because uh, KGB would have yeah. dissolved when she was about six or seven years old. Yeah, that's, and I think that's a, that's a thing they're hoping we don't question too much. <laughs> It, it made me so, laugh. I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess it makes sense. She's been a little badass since she was four years old or whatever. Which, hey, and, that, and their version of accounts might be true yeah. as well. Uh, but, but you know, also talking about sort of the, the cap that tries to represent both conservative and, and liberal ideas, uh, this is something that kind of happened in um, Brubaker's run of Captain America 2, where Brubaker said that he had to be very careful, as far as Marvel editorial went, to never have Cap lean too heavily to one side or the other politically, because that because that's it's a character that appeals to both sides. It's a character that represents like an American ideal. So you don't want him to spout one side or the other's philosophies completely, uh, you know, or risk alienating them from the character. That's why the liberal masquerading as the conservative uh, pundit Stephen Colbert has his shield hanging up in his set right behind his head. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, but um, I, you know, I guess I can kind of wrap my opinion up and just say I think I, you know, I think this movie works completely for me as a fan of Captain America. Um, but I also think that it would work, it maybe not for Bert. <laughs> not not <laughs> as I, much. It's certainly not a bad picture. It's pretty decent. 
I, but I, I think this is the uh, the most complete story Marvel has attempted to tell as a film. Um, I, for one, welcome the Russo brothers also having already been signed on for Captain America 3. Uh, oh, they oh, are. And I, yes, okay. they are. They were they were already signed on right after opening weekend. Maybe they can so buy well. a tripod for the next one. <laughs> we hope. Oh, I wanted to give my theory real quick. Okay. Um, I, I do feel like... Uh, because I've heard that Sebastian Shaw might have several picture deal coming up. Uh, and Chris Evans, who, who I really like as Captain America, by the way, I should say. Um, he, oh, yeah, we haven't really talked about him, but he is kind of... Well, we'll talk about it in a sec after you finish your point. I was going to say, I, I have the feeling like we're going to reach a point where Chris Evans is probably going to walk away from this character. Yeah. Um, in Brubaker's comics, Steve Rogers was killed. Uh, and when Steve Rogers was killed, Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, took over the mantle of Captain America, and was wearing his, was wearing was wearing the costume, and he was just Captain America now, hmm. until eventually Steve Rogers came back. But I feel like in the Marvel Cinematic, Cinematic Universe, if uh, Chris Evans walks away, that might stick, and we might be in a situation where Sebastian where uh, Sebastian Stan, Bucky, who plays Bucky, is going to be the new Cap, and I would be okay with that. Okay. Uh, I didn't find him like super memorable. He doesn't have a whole lot to say, or he just kind of grunts and like does a pose and kills somebody in this movie. Sure. Oh, oh, oh yeah. The the trial is gonna be in the next film when he has to play a complete character as well. Yeah. So th- it'll be partially him rediscovering himself. And you know what? I'll I'm not totally against the next one coming out, and mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll be an entertaining picture. Um, and let's let's. Let's talk about Chris Evans real quick, yeah, then. He's, yeah, Chris Evans. Chris Evans does look like he's torn out of the 1940s sometimes. Just like his, mm-hmm. his face, his hair, you know. He's got kind of that uh, commanding voice about him. And I feel like he's really bulked up, too. Like Oh, yeah, he was a pretty between, bulky dude in that movie. Even between Avengers and this, like I feel like he's really you know worked himself up. Yeah. Um, he, he's, he's got such an all-American look. And uh, I feel like he's really displaying his acting acting chops more and more. So I I'm a I'm a big fan of him in this role. Uh, yeah, I know Chris Evans has said uh, eventually he does want to leave acting behind and just direct. Mm-hmm. That's kind of his dream. Yeah. And Cap probably won't be in the cards. Maybe he'll do something for Marvel Studios down the line. Who knows? Yeah. Well, well, I wanted to bring this up too, uh, real quick, just because I feel like there was some groundwork laid when I said there was some setup I was seeing. One of the things I was seeing, and I kind of don't want them to do this, but I feel like it's something they would love to do, is uh, the Civil War event hmm. for for Marvel, um, which was, uh, of course, the, the event where uh, Captain America and Iron Man uh, sort of split the heroes down the middle to people who are pro-registration and anti-registration, which meant that uh, on the pro-registration side, you had to register your secret identity to be public knowledge, to continue to be a superhero, and Cap was anti-registration. Um, now, I would argue that that storyline didn't make entire, an entirely a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> Spider-Man was, being a big linchpin in that. Yes, uh, to the point where they had to they had to write out his uh, his participation with magic. Uh, <laughs> I believe the devil. The devil himself. <laughs> the that's, devil uh, himself rewrote the Marvel universe. <laughs> just to get, just so that Spider-Man could have a mask again, um, but but I, I feel like there's a lot of setup here. A, this movie establishes that Steve Rogers is distrustful of surveillance 
the surveillance state. Cap is big on personal pri- uh, privacy. Yes. Uh, B. Nick Fury is no longer by the end of the movie. Nick Fury is no longer in charge of Shield. In fact, in in the cinematic universe, and this is a big game changer because this didn't happen in the comics. Shield is no longer an entity. Yeah, it shows uh, the main Shield people we've been following around kind of go off in their own directions. Yeah, Fury has faked his death, and he's he's going off somewhere else. That one agent, do... she's now a CIA operative. Um, oh, yeah, and Maria Hill uh, is the uh, played by Kobe Smulders. Uh, we see her at the end of the movie going to uh, Tony Stark's office to apply for a job with Human Resources. Um, this is significant to the to the Civil War theory because in Civil War, Tony Stark is the director of Shield, and his number two is Maria Hill. Ooh, I, I did not know that. I've been following Marvel. Uh... I've read more of the DC books in my day. See, I'm a bigger Marvel fan than DC these days. So For me, for Marvel, it's got to be Spider-Man or the Punisher, mainly. Or the X-Men. I think, uh, for me, it's it's uh, it's Cap, Spidey, Daredevil, and the Fantastic Four, yeah. usually. I do like FF, not going to lie. But we know that. You know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but you know, so I don't know. I, I, I feel like that might be our post-Avengers 3 thing, yeah. just so that... Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans could go out with a bang. That would be pretty cool, and I won't be surprised if that's what they're leading up to. I don't think that's going to be Avengers 3, because I still feel like they're building Thanos up real big, but and the, the Infinity Gauntlet and all that stuff. But, I mean, they've got these movies mapped out to 2028, says Kevin Feig, So Yeah, that, that, that's crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to think that I might have children... Before before these movies, before they've run out of ideas for the movies they've already laid out. Yeah, then the kids be like, hey, Dad, they're having the marathon today. They're starting with the really old ones, like Captain America 2. Oh, my God. <sighs> Dang it, kids. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, so I'd say it's the distinct possibility. Um, the groundwork is there if they want to do it. I'm, I'm kind of fine either way, but I, I do know that they can't afford to keep paying, uh, Robert Downey Jr. what they're paying him. So I, I I'm sure that they want to get him, you know, like they want to give him a couple more movies and just, you know, find a way to split amiably. Life finds a way. <laughs> Life finds a way. And we're going to find our way into, uh, the raid to Barrendal now. With our second movie to talk about for the day, we have the highly anticipated sequel to one of the biggest sleeper hits, at least for me, of an action movie, or, you know, both of us, you know, in recent yeah, years, uh, The Raid. The Raid 1 was our was our number one action movie, both of us. Yeah. Uh, our number one action movie of the last 13 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, with good reason. Yeah. Uh, and here comes the, the bigger, bolder more violent <laughs> sequel, super sequel, The Raid yeah. 2 Burundal. Or I, I think the original title they were going to release was Retaliation, I think when they yes. first announced it. But no. They called it Raid 2 Retaliation, and it was always Burundal in uh, Indonesia. Yeah, that, that means, roughly translates to be thug, right? And thug translates to retaliation in English, so... Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. With that said, we are horribly, horribly going to butcher these names. Yeah. Because there's a ton of names that this movie throws right at you. Oh, yes. Right off the bat. Because like we said, this is a big, 
darn sequel. <laughs> Especially in comparison to the original. Not not uh, the budget. This is only like a, what three million dollars more. We're talking in story scope and length. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I mean the the one of the biggest things about the raid one is it's a tight ninety minute movie, uh, super well paced. The action is constant, and it's ref- it's res- it's a uh, con- cons- uh, confined to one location. Mm-hmm. This movie is a sprawling mob semi epic uh which takes Semi-epic. place over yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't go full on epic for the story uh but it you know it's a serviceable epic uh that sort of spans the entire city yeah I, i'm guessing it's supposed to be jakarta they didn't shoot it there uh i know they shot it a few hours out i guess it was a tad cheaper although my my impression from the trailers was that this movie was going to take place entirely in a prison yeah, there was that uh, initial teaser, and it has Rama, our hero from the last movie, and uh, one of three played by Eco, played by Eco Yeah, the terrific Eco Owais. It's just terrific. Um, it has him sitting in a prison cell, and he's going raging bull, but like times ten on the prison wall. He's like just beating on it. Yeah, that the chalk outline of a man. <laughs> yeah, got, got a sort of an old boy vibe to it mm-hmm. there. And speaking of which, um, I think a ton of Gareth Evans' favorite movies are kind of referenced here and there. I got a very big Park Chan-wook feel oh, yeah. from certain things. A lot, of course, with the predominance of black and red with a lot of the locations. So even even some of the characters are more Park Chan-wook than what we're used to seeing from... Well, I guess just from the film we saw, that, I mean, there was there was nobody quite like a baseball Batman or Hammer Girl before. Or even, um, oh gosh, uh, Bejo. Yeah. He was kind of this... He looked like a, a manga Nazi or something. I don't know how to describe him. He just looked it, out he, of control, man. He's he's the uh, the one they would describe as half Arabic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one yeah, that Goto... With, with the slicked back hair and the the really cool sunglasses, yeah, he, yeah, again, yeah, he definitely seems like someone that's more at home in a Park Chan Wook movie than uh, what I expected from uh, Gareth Evans. Yeah, there's even uh, a few. There's even a character that is very much a Luca Brasi, like he's kind of the Luca Brasi of the story for this movie, uh, played by the guy, an actor from the last movie, but he was killed. Uh, I just call him Mad Dog. But uh, he's played by a uh, Yayan Ruhan. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was also one of the choreographers of the, the fight scenes. Mm-hmm. Here he's called the uh, Procaso. Procoso. Yep. Yeah, they just call they just call him Coso. He he's a uh, der- essentially a deranged bum hitman. Yeah, they they try to give you a little bit of empathy with explaining. Oh, he's got a son. He can't see for whatever reason. I don't even. I wasn't really sure. It wasn't important. He was a badass and. Well, he couldn't see his son because he makes money as a killer. That seemed to be his wife's his his ex wife's issue. That was his ex wife. I'm assuming that was his wife or his ex wife. Okay. But she was she was she was sort of you know maintaining the control over the son by saying, you know why you can't see yeah. him? It's because you chose to live this life. Like she she'll take the money for child support, but she won't let him actually be around his kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although his his first appearance in the movie is straight slasher movie stuff. Oh yeah. Stalking and killing with a big old machete. <laughs> like he just takes out a crowd of club goers. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. And, and, and he even has the slow Jason Voorhees walk toward, toward the last victim. You know, Gareth Evans is a big horror fan, 
Um, yeah, it, it's just I mean that 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 scene was true slasherdom. Yeah, it's perfect. And also, you know, speaking of the Godfather, there's a character that is very much a combination of Sonny and Fredo Corleone and Ucho, mm-hmm. who's in many ways kind of the main antagonist. It's kind of hard to pinpoint just who is the main bad guy of this movie. Yeah. Uh, but he is the son of the underworld boss uh, of whom Rama is sent undercover to investigate. And part of that investigation is to be incarcerated for two years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, this is very much just, you know, an ambitious attempt at uh, an epic with this movie. I feel like, I feel like uh, you know, Gareth Evans might have taken some of the some of the complaints that some people, definitely not us, had about the raid one, which was that it didn't tell a complete story. It was more of just transitioning from one action scene to the other. He's like, all right, I'll give you this big story then. Yeah. Um, well, uh, well, not exactly. This was something he wrote before the raid. It was completely unrelated. Um, most of the characters were in it. The only one missing really was Rama. He just kind of worked him into that story. He had this idea of a martial arts gangster film. Okay. And he didn't have, he couldn't get the money he needed for it. So four and a half million dollars, you know, mm-hmm. what the, a percentage of a tiny percentage of the movie we just reviewed. Yeah. A very tiny percentage. Yeah. Um, I guess I should point out too that, yeah, I guess, you know, what you're saying is that sort of the raid one is proof of concept to get the budget for raid two. Yeah. It was, you know, I made this so I can get the movie I really wanted to make done. Uh, and the Raid 2 starts at the ver- exactly where the Raid 1 ended. It's, I mean, Rama still has the cut on his cheek that he got from the from the knife from the, from the machete gang in the first movie. Yeah, uh, one of his buddies on the SWAT team is still with him. Uh, I, I was shocked that, that his brother Andy is killed immediately when this movie starts. That's the first, yeah, that's the very first thing that happens. Because cause Andy was so confident that he was going to, you know, be somebody in the crime world at the end of the first movie. I mean, the movie ends with him smiling and walking back to that life. Uh, and in a way, I was a little, I don't know, maybe a little irritated that they kill him like that. It's it's almost like uh, Newt in Aliens. Yeah. And then on to Alien 3, she's dead. Oh, yeah, she died in cryosleep. That didn't work out. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, we could have done something else with him. He maybe he didn't even need to be involved. Maybe they were worried like that somebody would go like, well, "Why doesn't he just go to Andy's safe house?" Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, yeah I and I feel like any sort of story with Rama out to avenge his brother is, is gets kind of muddled. Yeah, because because Bijo is the one that kills Rama's brother. Yeah, but ultimately Rama gets involved with Uso, Ucho. Yeah. Uh, and that becomes the bigger thing. Yeah, and what's going on with uh, Beiju, he's sort of a, an up-and-coming younger gangster. He, he walks with a cane, you know, he just looks absolutely crazy with the, the long coat and the scalpel he carries, black he's got a lot of He's got a lot of weird assassins that are working for him. They're, they're right out of a manga. Yeah, assassins. oh, this is, they, they are, those three are the most manga-edit characters. <laughs> it's very uh, Ishii the Killer, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of other movies, uh, I felt an Ishii the Killer vibe, but even with just some of the excesses, uh, maybe not as disturbing as you know Ishii or even Fudo, the new generation. I don't think this is unintentional either. Like you said, there's a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of in this in this film in particular, there's a lot of Evans seeming to show his influences, yeah. and uh, you know, he has he has 
uh, a few, quite a few uh, Japanese uh, players in this film as well, because the Yakuza in Indonesia are involved in, the, in these plots, and they're all played by actors who who have become staples of t- Takashi Miike films. Yeah, uh, Kenichi Indo mm-hmm. as Goto, uh, Ryuhei Matsuda, and uh, Kazuki Kitamura. Yeah, they're... I know all of them from those movies. <laughs> uh, Kenichi was in uh, Dead or Alive movies, I want to say, and uh, <laughs> Visitor Q. Um, there was a scene, I le- it was unintentionally funny, but it's where Ucho suddenly busts out into English to talk to, uh, Keishi. Mm-hmm. His English is wonderful. Yeah. Keishi's, well, I-, I couldn't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> I had, I, like, leaned over in the theater, like, oh, what, what do you say? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah but I, I think we're, we're trying to mention the story but bijou is trying to influence ucho to start a gang war with the japanese and his father's indonesian gang mm-hmm. to wipe each other out so. and completely upheave the status quo yeah of just the jakarta or javanese uh, underworld yeah it's 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 almost a joker-esque scheme except Bijou doesn't want to see the world burn. He wants to. He wants to uh, take take over the power vacuum. Exactly. So he he's more of a slightly more benign Batman villain. He'd be Black Mask, I guess. Yeah. But the stage is set for. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Some of the most insane most vicious action scenes I've ever seen in any movie. This is kind of the Rambo 4 of martial arts films. My God, yeah. I, I I tried to think of a martial arts film that was as self-serious as this one is while still being as explicitly violent. Now, there was Story of Ricky. Right, but, but when I, when I, when I, that's yeah, why that's I bring why the self-seriousness. Yeah. Because Story of Ricky is so out there that it's comical and i almost think it has to know it's that intentionally it comical like the guy with the mints in his eyeballs you know or the guy is choking somebody with his intestines yeah yeah that's intentionally like, but, silly like this is just pure violence i you know i don't think it's the best choreography of all time but but it's damn good it's damn good and it, it it earns like it should earn a special award for being the movie that goes you know why stab a guy one time when I can stab him 50 times and slice his leg off. And, or why pick this, or it's like the difference between this and Jackie Chan would be Jackie Chan would grab a guy and slam him through a table. Easy peasy. Eco Awise picks up a guy. There's a scene where he looks like he's going to slam him through the table. No, he just carries him over and shoves his face into a hot stove. And holds it. Yes. He holds, holds it. it for an excruciating amount of time. An amount of time that would even make Steven Seagal go, damn, man. <laughs> he pulls a guy off and he looks like Two-Face or something. Toxic Avenger. It's horrifying. It's not, it's not even the image. It's the it's the, the guy keeps screaming. He keeps letting out scream after scream after scream. The moment where like, you're hearing him scream so long that you think, like, this is they're holding this so long. There, like, this is, this is real. <laughs> and then the worst thing is we find out that's a cop. Yeah. It's a good guy. He just did that too. There's a couple cops he does stuff to without knowing. Gruesomely maims. Um, 
I think, oh man, I don't know which part is the most like horrendously let's, violent. I don't know. Let's, you want to run through the action scenes? We can kind of run through if I can remember all of them. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, yeah, we'll remember as many as we can. And again, this that, that's a good problem to have. It, it is a good problem, yeah. Um, there, okay, so... The first one is in the prison, in the yes, bathroom the, stall. The, the bathroom stall. Now, this this sort of shows what I believe is Eco Weiss' specialty. I don't know anybody else that does this as well as he does. Yeah. Eco Weiss can fight in a cramped space and make it look great. There was a very clever way Gareth Evans went around that. Um, if you look at the bathroom stall, it is extremely narrow. He had the art department build the stall so that the two door or the the walls can kind of open up like they're on hinges. Okay. And the cameraman kind of dances around it, and like one hinge opens up where the cameraman's supposed to stand, and then okay. he sort of walks around in Brian De Palma style, and it closes back so it looks perpendicular and fine, and just does that back and forth, back and forth, so they can fit the cameraman and the fighters at the same time. It's pretty spectacular. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, I will say right off the bat, um, I mentioned shaky cam for Cap, which was horrible. It's not as bad here, but it is here. And again, this is another case where I don't feel like they need to do that. They don't like, need to do it. Uh, if... I, I, I really do think at this point that the, the, the hypothesis that people are doing it because they feel like that's the style of action movies now. Yeah, I, I really hope Gareth Evans just gets off that kick. The compositions and just, you know, the framing is very good in these action Cinematography scenes. is beautiful. There's, um yeah, I'm going to bring this up too, is that all of the crime boss scenes are like these beautifully lit, beautifully angled like stanley kubrick looking shots you know mm -hmm. and then every single action scene is shaky cam but it's yeah. not well I, I think like the last couple of last fight scene in the movie i could see that one pretty well <clears throat> okay. and there's a car chase i thought it worked really well in but it was i think i would have enjoyed this most of the fight scenes twice as much had it been just shot with a steady cam or just, you sure. know, with more static shots. I, I would have preferred that. And, it, you know, it's like we're saying, handheld is fine. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to have the cameraman just running around and bouncing the camera around. It, it doesn't add any realism to it. Filmmakers, if you want to get a good review, a glowing review on Bloodbath and Beyond, get your camera straight. Yeah, that's all, that's all we're asking. Yeah. So you're with me on that, though, that there was some shaky cam in this picture. There was, but I, I, I feel like I'll never be as bothered by that as you are. It, I, I, it, it does bother me. It is a small pet peeve of mine. But I'll tell you, I, 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 my girlfriend Brittany and I uh, have joked about this several times when we're in a movie. If we see any shaky cam, we both turn to each other and go, Bert's not going to like that. <laughs> like, we know that now. But, uh, yeah, but anyway. uh, having the shaky cam and the Stanley Kubrick looking shots, the problem is it's, it's just so distracting, just the difference. And it doesn't add any realism to it. The violence itself adds the realism. Yes. Uh, I just. <laughs> so let's let's jump into the uh, the next uh, the next big action sequence yeah. here, which is the prison yard fight. Holy cow! I think this might be the most overall gruesome scene. It was to me. Uh, it's it's. 
It is a sequence right out of the cartoon Super Jail. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's, like, in the way that, like, the cartoon Super Jail gets so excessive with its violence that it, it reaches a point where it stops even looking like a fight scene and more just like this surreal thing that's happening, just this vicious orgy of violence. And here we have you know, just a prison yard brawl in the mud, and there's cops getting stabbed to death and shivved. And Suddenly it seems like everybody in the world has shivs, and, no, and everybody hits each other like at least 85 times per knife <laughs> I, I the the first thing uh that was gruesome was uh, a guy who gets his leg like twist looks like it almost gets twisted off he just gets from the knee it gets hyper extended backwards it's, it's like broken in like four places it's so gru i'm like oh jesus christ but the most horrifying thing to me was something that's kind of like in the background and it's this guy getting his jaw and his hard palate pulled apart by another guy, and it's like ripping his head open, and you see like his cheeks ripping apart. That was horror movie territory. Oh my god, I I I blocked that out. <laughs> <laughs> I blocked that shot I'm out. Sorry. You're right. You're right. This is I I I don't think I've ever talked about an action movie's violence this way, where. I, there are several shots that made me feel completely uneasy. Uh, queasy, yeah. Queasy, yeah. It's like it's that's usually the kind of revulsion I, I you know, I, I set aside for something like From Beyond or yeah, you know, this is like, Lucio Fulci like, right here, man. Yeah, this is this is body horror as action. <laughs> it was it was very disturbing, and you know, I was with a buddy uh, seeing this, and we we both after the movie we were just going, you know. If I was the guy in that prison fight, I would just play possum in the background. <laughs> just don't hurt me. Don't hit. Don't don't rip my head off. Don't literally. Stab me. Don't stab me two thousand times. Holy sh! Oh god! It was. I remember uh, the episode of Breaking Bad where Walt has all those guys killed in prison. Yes. Uh, that's. It was like that, but times yes. hundred. You know, times a hundred. <laughs> Broken bones. All of it's happening. But but unlike you know unlike Breaking Bad where that's like we're seeing each guy's dilemma. Separately, these are all happening at the same time, and there are guys getting shivved in the background. Yeah. While the, while the guy, like, there's, there's not, there's never a point in this scene where someone is not getting stabbed or broken or otherwise permanently disabled or dead. All right, there's a knife stabbed into one guy's calf muscle. Instead of being just stabbed, it gets dragged through all the way. Oh God, what is wrong with you, Gareth? Freddy Krueger wasn't this sadistic. Good God. He just this movie alone makes him one of the most violent directors of all time, <laughs> and I kind of love it for it. Yeah, I do too. You know, it, it, the movie's kind of a masterpiece for that reason. You know. Yeah. So, so I guess uh, moving on from the prison yard. Uh, <laughs> um. So Rama ends up in the favor of Ucho because he he saves his life from being stabbed in the prison yard. Yeah. Uh. So he ends up in his service and has several battles. Yeah, one inside of the the, uh, the porn den, mm -hmm. and you you know that because there's all those DVDs with it looks like bathroom, well, gender bathroom descriptions. Let, let's go backwards here. Okay. You know that because there is a woman with a I giant. I was getting to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was leading up to her. You can't start with the best part about it. I'm just kidding. There's yeah. There's a woman who walks out. Very sassy, like with a, a giant strap on. 
Because she's giving it to some guy who's begging to not be in the not be in the scene. Hey, where do you find guys like this? God, he's terrible. He's not a pro. <laughs> it's like okay, I already got the fact that it was a porn den. They just had to have the strap-on girl. That that was some Garth Ennis sort of humor right there. This is, this is Evans as Takashi Miike. Yeah, he is the Western Miike. Yeah, Miike. It's it's uh but I mean you know we have we have a really good sequence uh, there we have uh, oh we we also have uh, as I said the uh, the slasherific entrance of Yayan Ruhian's uh, character Prokoso 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 who uh, it has has another fight in a dance hall yeah it's uh, one of the clubs owned by um... Ucho's father yeah Bangun Bangun yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Bangun uh, and uh, I I want to say that this this the 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 death scene of Prokuso, uh feels very much like a Park Chan Wook movie. Oh yeah, that reminded me of the end of um, uh, Lady Vengeance. Yes. The snow and the salt. He's 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 bleeding he's bleeding out in the snow. It's actually it's... probably my least favorite fight scene in the movie. <laughs> a lot of it was Koso just kind of throwing furniture. And then yeah. everyone's punching him, and it doesn't do anything to him until but, but again, until he gets killed at the very end in the snow. See, that's why that's why I get that Jason Voorhees vibe. You know, not only is he wielding a machete, but he just is slow moving and seemingly indestructible until he's dead. He was very much eighty percent of the muscle of Ben Gunn's organization. Yeah. Just this but little to, guy to, to look so homeless. Yeah, just this little guy with a machete is so deadly. Although hey, after after we saw him do in raid one, he he has earned <laughs> he has earned my belief that he could be the one guy. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Oh man! So uh, we also we then move to the introduction of Hammer Girl and Baseball Batman. He should just be called Bat Boy. Yeah, it makes more sense. Sounds much yeah, better on the page. We'll take we'll take Hammer Girl and Bat Boy. Um, who I'm told uh. They have a backstory that Evans illuminated, which is that they are they are brother and sister from a broken home. Yeah, uh, he saved her from being abused by their father. Uh, presumably, she is deaf and also blind in one eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evans said he gave her kind of the claw hammer weapons because they resemble. If you were due to do it uh, unarmed, you would have tiger claw strikes in uh, Salat, Indonesian Salat, oh, wow. similar to like. Tiger Crane Kung Fu, you know, you strike with the flat part of your palm and then you rake down or dig in with uh, your fingers that are sort of like clawed up, like really strong. You have to be able to do like push-ups and shit on your on your fingertips and all. Uh, so they made it extra cool with hammers. Like they must be like razor sharp or something because she tears guys apart with it. And again, she doesn't just put it in you. She doesn't put the claw in you. She drags the claw all the way through the flesh as far as she can drag it. And she'll beat you with the hammers. And base- and, and Bat Boy is uh, he's hitting baseballs so fast he kills you. Oh, uh, well, you know what? You, there's, which... he, the first guy hits uh, in the head. He's right in the head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, there's been, people, some damage. there's been people killed in baseball by line drives. Sure. And if this guy is trained with the baseball bat as his weapon of, you know, his deadly weapon, I'm sure he's probably pretty proficient at that. But And he, he hits the other guy so hard that it paralyzes him long enough to... Well, it, like, knocks him across the room. That's where I thought, okay, maybe it's, like, a really heavy baseball. 
Yeah. I was expecting like him to pick it up and it hits the ground like a brick. Like, <laughs> but no, it's just a regular baseball. He's just that powerful with his aluminum bat. Um, yes. Julie Estelle, who plays Hammer Girl, uh, was the uh, one of the few people of the fighting cast who didn't have any kind of martial arts background, and you could kind of tell. She still does a pretty good job. She did a, uh, a large part in do is just the way they made her look on screen, and the, the framing was excellent. I I noticed the camera was a bit shakier when she was on, especially in that in fight in the hall. Just to hide the movements. Just to hide the movements, and she does a lot of really cool. Uh, I think what works well with people who aren't like born martial artists like uh, Tony Lung or uh, like Sybil Hu and some old Hong Kong movies, they would have them kind of like do a lot of spinny moves. Mm-hmm. And it just looks really good on camera. So she made like a really good formidable, formidable opponent. And just the image of her is so striking. Like, you know, she's got the girly glasses and the skirt and covered in blood, you know. I feel like her and Batboy leave a, a really good impression with what little they're given as characters. Uh, I enjoy, for example, that he's always uh, signing things to her, and they seem kind of like like they, they make it very clear that they're kind of close. Like when it's time to go to the final battle, she doesn't she doesn't hear she doesn't hear Bijou give the command. He just kind of grabs her by the hand and pulls her to the battle, and she and she runs back in just enough time to grab her. I love the way out. that little bit. Like uh, Gareth Evans is great at this with these characters of giving them character without having to say anything like you know right away that they're brother and sister you just know it mm-hmm. and like her sort of childlike response to like oh forgot my hammers and he i mean like you said you know she looks kind of cool and he's kind of striking too with his hoodie up and yeah. his, you know like like he just kind of like he like he kind of seems lazy until he bashes your face in with an aluminum bag yeah. we may all be confused about all of these characters names because good lord does this movie just throw them at you but you yep. you won't confuse anybody for anybody else. You know exactly who they are, what yeah. they do, what they want to do, and that's just a yes. sign of you know good directing, with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and be you know and oh man, I the the, the fight with those two, um, yeah. culminates in I think was the one scene that was so shocking to me that I actually I actually remember like yelling out loud when it happened. Which is when uh, Rama when Rama slams the bat into <sighs> Batboy's face and it sticks in his mouth and then he falls over and it's still stuck in his head. I remember audibly screaming. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, the 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 head thing in the prison yard was probably still fresh in my mind. It's still fresh in my mind. Oh yeah, no, that the that, bat yeah. thing is still that was still pretty. It's it's up there, man. Yeah. Um, oh, we 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 didn't even th- mention the uh, the car chase. I was just about to get to that. Yeah, this is actually my favorite action scene in the whole darn movie. I th- mm-hmm. I think this is one of the best car chases in years. Uh, yes. Since like uh, to live and die in L.A. or something, it was terrific. It's again, it continues the trend of brutality. Oh yeah. Uh, oh man, my favorite thing is where. Uh, one of the good guys gets a like the submachine gun and jams it right into this biker's face and his helmet, and he just unloads his machine gun. And you, when we see it, just like destroy the helmet. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a particularly bloody, but it but it was a very violent image. It's the suggestion of what's going on there, and it's still like it's it, it, not even the suggestion. We're shown what happens. Oh but... yeah, and then uh, yeah, he like gets run over, 
right after it's, that. It wasn't just enough to see him get shot. We have to see him get run over too. The cor- the corpse has to be desecrated, yeah. or it's not. The, the film is incomplete. Yeah, I can't believe this movie with this tiny budget had such a terrific car chase in it. It was really thrilling, and it was kind of cool the way they went about it. Um, the director brought in some guys from Hong Kong to help stage it because they didn't really know what they were doing. He'd never done a car chase before. Uh, I don't think anybody on the stuntman team in Indonesia had really done one either. So they were worried about how to shoot it. And so like, okay, maybe we'll have like this fancy rig. Oh, well, we can't do that. That's too expensive. Or I, can, oh, I can't get the angles I want. So they just had the two cinematographers. Like one was dressed as a car seat. And one of the cinematographer would pass it over pass the camera over to him inside the car while the guy dressed up as a car seat would pick it up and then film some of the action and then he would pass it back and then the camera would kind of roll on a uh, a cart over to the next car behind them and the other fight that's going on because there's Ranma fighting four guys inside of a car and why there's a good guy like trying to just shoot around a few other cars around them. It's pretty insane. There's a lot of, I mean, just the idea of cameramen passing cameras to one another is, in that context, and this is something that we see in the first movie too. Uh, for example, uh, when they jump from through the hole from one apartment to the other, they just handed the camera off to continue that continuous shot, yeah. uh, which is something I feel is uniquely uh, Evans. Mm-hmm. I I really enjoy that. I think he's really good at that. I think you could really get a good idea. Excuse me of. Uh... Rama just fighting up the bad guys, you know, having to go like, oh my god, just, yeah, again, the confined space, was... the confined space of of Rama, uh, Eco doing his damage in uh, just fighting four people inside of a car while the car is moving. Yeah, and you know that's kind of plays to Eco's strength. Eco wise is not the crazy acrobat that a guy like Tony Jaw is, even or even or, Jack, or, Jackie uh... Chan for that matter. Or even uh, Yen Biao. Yeah, yeah he's, he's not a, he plays to his strengths of just being this he's very super athletic, efficient fighter. Like he just uses his whole body. He's very well coordinated, very powerful looking when he strikes somebody. And his strikes look always look so fast. Oh yeah, he's always oh, quick as lightning, man. I mean the that that opening sequence I'm I'm you know, I'm pretty sure I was told it he it was not sped up. Like when he's no, that was when he's time. when he's punching the hell out of that wall, he's really moving his hands that quickly. Yeah. I watched, there's a making of floating around on YouTube, and okay. you see stuff like the prison fight. They didn't really do much in the way of undercranking or anything to make it look faster. It was just straight up in camera as it was. It's, Guys motivated to move as quickly as they did. <laughs> it's incredible, yeah. And, and uh, Gareth Evans said, like, oh, you know, everybody was like losing their shoes. I lost a pair of shoes in the mud. <laughs> like, we lost everything. And when you hit the mud, you thought it would be soft. But no, it just spread the mud out, and you'd hit the concrete underneath. <laughs> Jeez, it's like oh. Dude, this. This is this is some real guerrilla filmmaking here. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I it's I don't know. I I my the excitement is palpable. I I have. Okay, let's talk about the fight real quick. There's one more big fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the fight between um, Rama. And uh, the character played by Cisep uh, Arif Rahman, or as he's known in the movie. Uh, the assassin that's the only name they give him yeah uh, who carries two uh karambit indonesian daggers those are some pretty diabolical looking blades they're creepy yeah he's the third of the manga henchman tr- uh, trio 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure the Karambit are uh, traditional Salat weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, yeah, they look dangerous. Uh, we have a really good fight between those two in a kitchen. A very, very brutal fight. Uh, I actually like too. Uh, some of the audience members were laughing during this, but I liked that they kept going back into stances after attempting to strike yeah, each other. Yeah, that was, it reminded me of the things I liked from classic Bruce Lee, like uh, his fight with Bob Wall and Enter the Dragon. They they get it really up and close to a deep stance and touch arms, and then Bruce keeps yeah. punching him in the face. It's great. Like I, I I like that this fight starts with such an attention to form, and eventually just devolves into them stabbing each other. Because they're exhausted. <laughs> they're they're exhausted at this point. They're they're fighting for survival. They know whoever doesn't win dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was I think with the damage that the assassin takes it was almost I, I was expecting like a health bar above him. Yeah. <laughs> just slash slash slash. He lost Bruce so much did. blood. It was insane. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, the, 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 this pristine kitchen is just a bloodbath. Yeah. And beyond. And beyond. Uh, if there... truly, truly true in this movie is it a bloodbath and beyond. I want to say this and Rambo for the most violent pictures we've talked about so far. Maybe. Yeah, we'll need to do a proper review of Rambo 4 at some point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the whole Rambo series, Casey. Please. Yes, of course. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, I wanted to make a note. I, you know, I kind of talked about this earlier, but uh, what sticks out to me, the difference between the fighting with, in this film, as opposed to, you know, something like Police Story we covered a little while ago, is just how we, the fight, the basic fighting is punctuated. In the Jackie Chan movie, it would be like a slow motion or very acrobatic, like, kind of payoff to the, the blocking, striking, parrying, or whatever. Here, it's something really gory every time. Yeah. <laughs> it's always something it's, gory. It's it's the finish him after a Mortal Kombat fight. Yeah, it's 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 brutal, you know. And I think it almost plays to different sets of emotions than mm-hmm. what than how a Jackie Chan fight would play. I, I yeah. prefer kind of the older style. Uh, I don't want every martial arts movie to try to be like this movie. I, I would prefer more try to be like the first raid. Yeah. In terms of contact. The, the uh, first raid was a very violent picture, but it wasn't it was. nearly to the level of... I feel like there are at least 48 scenes in this movie more brutal than the most brutal thing in Raid 1. Yeah. And the thing is, I actually liked the hallway fight and the final fight with, with the two brothers against Mad Dog better than any fight in this movie. Yeah. I just thought the choreography was a little bit better, and um, especially with the Mad Dog fight, I really thought... I just, I just love that the, it was uh, like one of those old school kung fu movie battles, like the end of uh, Knockabout, mm-hmm. where Yun Biao and Sammo have to fight um, one of the Lao brothers. I think this is bloodletting and, and like survival instinct as combat. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, this is the twitch of the death nerve here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This, this is, this is Dario Argento's kind of, you know, Lucio Fulci, that's their kind of uh, kung fu. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, this is Kung Fu as a slasher movie. We talked about when we were talking about Drive uh, a few weeks ago, yeah. or rather a few, a few months ago, I guess, at this point. Uh, we, we mentioned that that was kind of a uh, an action movie as a slasher film, and I feel like that's even more true here. My God. Mm. Oh, God. And that's just not with the Kung Fu scene, or the martial arts scenes here. There's some brutal shootout stuff, too. Oh, yeah. And there's even one that was completely removed from the movie. And it has to deal with a Japanese gang in a shootout with the Indonesian. It was cut out because it didn't. It kind of messed up the pacing. 
and every single character in that scene dies, and it's people we never saw before. <laughs> yeah. So, but that was some. It reminded me out of something like a Punisher Max comic book. Mm-hmm. It was so extremely brutal, and the shootout stuff left in the movie was brutal too. Oh, okay. Let's talk about what <laughs> another scene that legitimately shocked me. Yeah. And that is how um, Ucho finally turns on Bijo. And blows half of his head off with a shotgun. And not in the way that I'm used to seeing in a movie where the entire head explodes. But only half of his face is destroyed. The other half is just like this caved in hollow skull brain. Like brain skull. It's It's like a bloody gooey stub thing. And we're we're just looking into the inside of it from, from the side. It, again, shocking. Shocking, but really well done. Uh, this movie has balls. <laughs> it has balls. I mean, it it's you know did did uh were you were you it, it's it's it speaks to this movie that there is a sequence where uh, Ucho and Bijo discuss business while slicing the throat of five men, uh, Gus Fring style oh. box cutters, and that was and that wasn't anywhere near the most shocking or revolting thing in the movie. Like, by then, I was almost properly desensitized. It was still really creepy, because they're so casual about it. Well, you know, Rob, Roger Ebert said that The Raid 1 was the most revolting film he could think of, because of because of how violent it was, and how he felt like there was no consequences, just, there was just bodies everywhere. And I feel like this was, this was a, you know, this was Gareth Evans' realization that Roger Ebert is dead and he can do as much violence as he wants. He doesn't have to fear any retribution. He can go this as is, hard and cruel. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the uh, post Roger Ebert Evans here. Oh lord. He's, he's he's even more violent than before. Um, he seems like such a polite guy. He does. Sort he of does. Uh, well, I, eco-wise. I I I I love I love this movie and I, I'm not one of those people that's like oh he must be stopped I I want him to make more movies I want these guys to make more movies oh yeah they, well they have more on the way uh he does want to do a third raid movie mm-hmm. he said it won't be for a few years he'd like to do at least two movies in between okay well I you know and I don't think given the an unfortunate box office this got in its wide release that. This is something that Sony Pictures Classics is going to distribute quite as well, or uh, you know, another raid movie, or if they distribute it at all. Yeah, it was ballsy of them to put this in wide release uh, against Rio too, which apparently has caused some confusion. People asking for the wrong ticket. I- I've been told by a few people that there is some old ladies that are very confused that are not in the movie about uh, CGI birds when they're watching people die on screen. So what is this? Why are all these trailers before it like foreign sex movies or something? <laughs> R two, I'll take the ticket to R two, please. Just call it Burrendale. Yeah, they they could almost because it's so completely uh, removed from what the first raid was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might as well have just called it Burrendale. Is the raid and Burrendale? Even a uh, tactical grandpa. Remember? Tactical grandpa. Remember what happens to him? Yeah. He gets shot in the face. Boop, and, boop, boop, uh, boop. Presumably, I mean, the other friend that they supposedly help, I'm pretty sure he's dead too. Yeah. Didn't they show his body among the pile of other dead cops? Uh, they had killed him to make their cop thing look convincing? 
think so. I'm pretty sure he. I'm pretty sure he's on the list of dead dead police officers. Yeah, the the good guy cops were pretty bad guys too, or at least uh, Reza, I think his name was. Yeah. Oh, which is the name that um the main villain Tama said in the last movie to get tactical grandpa off balance. Yeah, you can trust this man, and he gives him like the box of tapes. Yeah, and uh, apparently we can't trust that guy much either. It seems to be the implication. Yeah, got his brother it's... killed. And he also told Rama he was only going to be in prison for six months and left him in there for two years. <laughs> yeah, for our story of Ricky's story. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the prison was surprisingly short for, you know. Yeah, I feel like the movie kind of forgets about the undercover cop thing for a while because Rama kind of vanishes into the... The role the back, really well. Well, the background. Yeah, yeah. To the Ucho and Bangun story. I think that's in the forefront. Uh, I, I know, I and I, I'm kind of impressed by the performances there. I think, I think Ucho is really good. Uh, the actor who played Van Gogh was really good too. Um, they're yeah. solid actors. This is not chopsaki, you know, old school kung fu where it's like, you killed my master, you troubled yeah. my sister, you know. It, the, the, I mean, Ucho is a is a Shakespearean kind of character. You know, he's yeah, patricide. <laughs> and I, I kind of dig, too, that he's, I mean, he, he tries to be a big shot. We were given all the clues early on that he's not capable of being the big shot. Even his father, Bangoon, recognizes that. Yeah, that's why he's bringing up Eka. Yeah. Who ends up being a, a pretty good guy. And because and because Ucho doesn't feel like his father trusts him, that's why he brings Bijo into the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I dig that he's... That after you know he commits patricide, he's psychologically traumatized by it. Yeah, he's like, "What the heck have I done?" And he's just—he's almost in a catatonic state for the rest of the movie. Yeah, it—it it brings about his own self-destruction and the destruction of Bijou's gang. Yeah, it's like I've sold out to this guy uh, with the manga murder gang. <laughs> it's a—it it is a—it is an absolute bloodbath. Um, so do you have any final thoughts about this movie? I'll say that it doesn't quite... Uh, you don't go into this undercover cop story and expect Donnie Brasco or The Departed or anything. Um, that's just a facet. And if I were to say this was a bad movie because it wasn't as good of a, an undercover cop story, that'd be like me complaining that Venturian Candidate, well, that wasn't as good as The Raid because the martial arts scene in that movie was pretty weak. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just a different animal, and it's really just the setup. And it's one of the most ambitious uh, martial arts action movies ever made. It, mm-hmm. I think it's just gonna. Uh, time will tell, you know, its place in history. And uh, it's an interesting evolution in Gareth Evans' directing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. It's not a movie. I don't know if I could recommend to a lot of people. It's, it depends on how much you liked the original and how much violence you can handle in a film. Because this pushes the envelope more than just about any action movie I've ever seen. It's not my favorite action I've seen in a martial arts picture. But uh, it's pretty darn good. Um, it's, it's unique. I agree. I'll say my biggest problem with this movie is that it lacks the relentless pace of the raid one. Uh, 
the Raid One is one of the few action movies I would venture to say is a perfect action movie. There, I have little to no complaints about that movie, which I mean I made clear uh, at much greater length in the our top ten of the last thirteen years episode. Uh, um, oh yeah, it's up there with uh, you know under movies like T Two and Die Hard. You know, yeah, the... it, it is it is I think one of the all time greats. Yeah. Um, so it lacks the relentless pace in favor of more breathing room. Uh, there's a lot more breathing room with the story going on. But I do feel like Evans and Weiss and everybody involved tried to compensate for that breathing room by amplifying the violence and brutality a thousandfold. Yeah. Uh, like, like you at this point, if you know, if that's the tone of the violence, it's really, I need the breathing room. Mm. Yeah, this is a two and a half hour movie. Yeah, and the original was 90. 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, 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 have, we have added an hour of material, but, you know, that hour might be essential given just how horrific the uh, the violence being presented to us is. And I, I always wonder, too, if that's part of the point for Evans, that he's not test, he's not necessarily reveling in the violence so much, is just giving us how awful all the, some of the stuff would really look if people acted the way they did in action movies. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be anywhere near these people. <laughs> right, or like, or you know, th- that getting getting hit in the face with a knee nine times means you're not gonna have a face anymore. Exactly. It means, yeah, you're either dead or your face is missing or both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, but you know, so again, it, it, I I think it's not as breathless as the raid one, but uh, yeah, I overall I I'm gonna say I would recommend. Almost anybody try this once. Yeah. And I, I would say if you get to the prison yard fight and you're already like, this is not for me, you cut the movie off then because it's only going to keep going from there. You know, you're you're, you're going to like you will you will end up in the depths of gore hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is Lucio Fulci. With- but I, I, th- I think it's a remarkably made movie. Um, like you said, I think it's I think it it's definitely one of the most ambitious martial arts movies I've I've ever come across. And between you and I, we've watched a lot. Yeah, uh, we've seen pretty much all of the greats. I think between <laughs> you and I, um, I don't think this is as great. I don't think it's just a classic like the others. It's a classic I, and for as violent as it is. I yeah, I, I think this is a movie I will be talking about and probably rewatching for a long time. Yeah, I, well, it'll be a little while from now before I get back to it, but. I don't want to give myself PTSD or something. Sure. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, um, I guess that about wraps up our review for this one. Yeah. Uh, I also wanted to congratulate you publicly. Uh, you just got accepted into the engineering program at the University of South Carolina. Oh, thanks, man. That's right. Going to be crunching away at the numbers. Uh, and ultimately, uh, maybe working your way into uh, the film business using engineering skills. That's right. Um, yeah, I'll still be writing, and I would like to get a few more short films made <laughs> under my belt to show people. Hopefully something entertaining, and that will involve my dear collaborators. You know who you are. We do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, man. So I'm looking forward to the future, very much so. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where it takes you, man. Thank you, buddy. Uh, and uh, we're going to continue our tradition at this time of not announcing what we're doing <laughs> next time. Uh, I don't even think you and I know yet. I don't really so. know. We had a couple ideas. 
so so you know just get ready to open up uh your your itunes or, or podcast.com in a week or two and you'll you'll see whatever we come up with next yep. until then i'm casey mitchum and i'm burton cody stay bloody my friends my god so they are killers i've heard lots of people say once a man's a killer they just keep on killing and killing they sort of develop a taste for blood yeah that's right to kill one man